Hi everybody, Mike Wardrop from Encounter Church here and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. Okay, who in this room would say they're a people person? Quick show of hands. All the, the quicker you are, the more extroverted you are, the faster that hand goes up, the more aggressive the hand motion. Yeah, Lisa's like done her shoulder up the back waving her hand. That's how extroverted she is. Someone's going to have to sub in for keys because you're going to use one hand. That's how extroverted Lisa Pitt is. We, we, I, I love extroverts. I love introverts. I'm not going to make you put up your hand because you know how much you hate that. Um, I'm probably more of an ambivert, you know, those special people who live one foot in the extroverted world, one foot in the introverted world. I still don't know if ambiverts are real or if they're just only children who are used to being able to define themselves however they want. So that, both of those are true for me. Anyway, I am a people person, but I'm still the least extroverted person in my family. All my family are loud. They are extroverted. It is amazing on the first day of school because you take your kid to drop off and before you can say... I love you, they're gone. That they, they're no turning back. They forget you are there. They're going, I'm going to make a million friends. And you're left playing cats in the cradle or father and son and, and walking home in tears. <laughs> That's amazing. If the, kid, if the kids are connecting first day of school, that is a gift. Where it doesn't work so much is the dinner table. The dinner table is just like warfare, verbal warfare, every single night. And so, like, we say grace before the dinner table, but like normal families are like, thank you for the food. We're like, Lord Jesus, would you just help? Would you intercede with my children? Would you help them have the gift of muteness for this evening in Jesus? <laughs> yeah, it's a different kind of prayer. It's a different kind of prayer. We love it. But the most extroverted, I think, in our family is actually my daughter, Grace. Grace has always had the capacity to build friendships. She does it so fast, it's not funny. We used to take cross-country trips as a family back when we used to be able to go cross-country. Remember Melbourne? Remember that? Yeah. We used to go to Melbourne, and it was a great place. If you're in Melbourne, we, we love you and have been praying for you, and we praise God that we're seeing change in Melbourne. But we used to go cross-country, Melbourne, Sydney, Queensland, places like that. And uh, we'd stop, as you do, have a breather, grab some lunch, and you've got to go to a playground, let the kids run off some energy because they've been in the car for a while. And so the kids would run off some energy. We'd be there for like half an hour. The boys would play. They'd come back. And we'd be like, oh, where's Grace? And Grace is talking with her friends. She calls them her friends. She doesn't know their first names, but she calls them her friends. And so we are dragging her away from the playground. She's sobbing because her new best friends that she's known for 19 and a half minutes doesn't know their name, doesn't know where they live. Her new best friends are being left behind because our family are people, people. We're people, people. We are all about people. We love people. This church is all about people. God is all about people. And I want to unpack that tonight using the passage in John that I think is going to be impactful for people in this room and how God is calling you to live, how God is calling you to be in your spirit. Before I do that, I want want to just go a little dark for a moment and talk about mental health. Because we have just come through, I'm I'm going to say that, we have come through the darkest period in 2020, amen? Let's just declare that, that it's going to get better from here on out. It's not going to get worse. So we just declare that in Jesus' name, that, that we are going to see better things, better days ahead. And so we're praying for that. We've come through this. And in March 
Right at the start, March the 19th, the Black Dog Institute, a mental health research institute, put out a paper. They were concerned that during the pandemic, mental health would spike because they'd seen increases of 25 to 33% in other pandemics throughout global history. So they wanted to alert the general public that there could be a problem with mental health. And if you remember, the 19th was really the day before it all went down. The 20th is kind of when SA went into official lockdown for the first day. And so this was just ahead of the curve. They're putting this out. A couple months later, they put out a paper about their research. They did some research during this time. So the 29th of July, a few months later, the University of New South Wales, the Black Dog Institute together, put out a report on mental health between the time of 27th March and 7th April and showed that a staggering 78% of people had reported an increase in worsened mental health during lockdown. 78%. That's at least twice what they were expecting. It's up to three times their estimate. Much, much worse than they anticipated. And that's really only over a two-week period. That's not even really hitting the spike of COVID. It got much worse, obviously, in Victoria and Melbourne. Here's what they reported. 62% of people reported increased depression levels. 50% reported increased anxiety levels. 64% increased stress levels. And if you were already suffering from mental health, it was much worse. And perhaps this has been part of your story already. Interestingly, though, anxiety about COVID itself and personally catching COVID was not that high. Only one in four people were worried about personally contracting COVID-19. They might have been more concerned about family members, but not themselves. The main causes of anxiety were these three. Number one, financial troubles. Number two, uncertainty. And number three, loneliness. Just loneliness. Here are two things I know for sure about humanity. We are wired for community and we are uncertain about our mortality. Community and mortality, relationships and death are two inevitable parts of the human experience. And we are generally speaking at sea in both of them. We are not good at talking about death in the Australian context. And relationships, we're pretty good at a casual level. Like, how's it going? Yeah, good. Like, that's, that's about the most Aussie thing you can do. But then to ask, hey, how are you really doing, is about the least Aussie thing you can really do. So we've got that conflict. And COVID-19 has shone a bright spotlight on both of these because the deaths of family and friends have shone a spotlight on our anxiety, and rightly so. And then this has led, all all the COVID-19 cases around the country have led to lockdown nationally, and so politically we've seen anxiety in a national lockdown. Now, the lockdown, I believe, was the right decision, but it has caused an increase in mental health. And we've seen several different factors affecting mental health because we had bushfires at the start of the year. Do you remember those? That was so devastating. Across the globe, people were raising money for this country. And we've almost forgotten about them because COVID has been so devastating. And then we've had uh, floods up north. Then winter came through. So people who have um, seasonal effectiveness disorder, you know, that's, that becomes a problem for them. And uh, then we've got the lockdown again in Victoria. And, and let me just give you a word of advice. If you would like to move away from anxiety, do not follow the US political news cycle for the next two months. Just put that to the side. Do not care about Trump or Biden. You will see who votes for them. It's not going to be you guys anyway. Don't worry about it. Don't worry. Let the Americans deal with that for the time being. Focus on the fact that it's nice outside, okay? Let's, let's put nervous laughter. Let's step out of anxiety 
and, and into some sunlight and into some joy, right? Yeah. I think we need that. So 2020 has brought these critical issues. Death and friendship brought them together in a clash that we have been unprepared for. It's rocked our fragile mental landscapes. And tonight's text is about both those things. So why don't we jump into John 11 together? I'd love you to turn to it in your Bible if you have it with you. Let me give you a bit of context. John's Gospel, the fourth and final biography of Jesus in the Bible. If you're unfamiliar with the Scriptures, there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John is the fourth. They are all different perspectives from different friends and disciples of Jesus on the life of Jesus. Most of them cover the same key points, but there are differences in between, different perspectives and different stories that get told. And John's is the most unique. And one of the things that's deeply unique about it is there are eight signs Right? John calls them signs, which are miracles that point to the divinity of Jesus, that point to the fact that Jesus is God. So this is a really interesting and pertinent thing to know as you start to read and recognize that John is, is showing how Jesus revealed himself through these signs. And out of those signs, the seventh and perhaps the most impactful and certainly the most dramatic is the resurrection of Lazarus. And the word Lazarus, almost immediately, like even in popular culture, sort of brings to mind this kind of resurrection, back from the grave kind of mindset. It is embedded in who we are, but when stories are embedded in our culture, we tend to lose what was behind them in the first place. We might, we might go, yeah, yeah, that's right, Noah built an ark and forget what the ark meant, forget the promise, forget the covenant of God. So when we look at something like Lazarus, we've got to look past the resurrection and go, what is happening in this story? What is actually happening? Let's talk about that. Jesus and his disciples, they've been doing ministry in Jerusalem, which for Jesus means miraculous healings, insightful teachings, and upsetting religious authorities. That's what um, miracles meant for Jesus. So he and his disciples retreat after upsetting the religious authorities again, and they head into the countryside near Jerusalem. And while they are there, they get word that Jesus' dear friend Lazarus is sick, like really sick. And Lazarus's sisters, Mary and Martha, also friends of Jesus, they have sent word to Jesus to say, Lazarus is sick, would you come? Now, that's interesting. I don't, I don't know why they sent word to him. I have a couple of theories. The, uh, the first is just sheer friendship. You want to be with the people you love when they're sick. But you've got to remember, Jesus was several days' ride from where they were in Bethany. It was, it was a distance away. And so wherever the messenger found them, and remember, like, there's no like WhatsApp, you know, you've actually got to send messages out on foot to find Jesus. So I'm going to assume Mary and Martha sent multiple messengers out across the Judean countryside to the places where they know Jesus tended to be to go and try and find him. And so they got there and reached Jesus and told him, but I think the main reason they sent him is because they know something about the character of Jesus, and that is Jesus heals Jesus was a miracle worker. He was the Messiah, but he was always also a healer. People would come to him and they would say, I cannot be cured. And Jesus says, you can in the name of God and cures them. And so Mary and Martha, I believe, has sent out messengers to get Jesus to say, would you come and heal our brother? And Jesus' immediate response is he stands up and says, give me two days. And he sits back down. And he spends time where he is for two days and then he gathers up the disciples. He's like, okay, now we're going back. Back towards Jerusalem. Back where the danger is. Back where the fear of death is. Where the Jewish authorities want to kill us. Back to Bethany. Back to Lazarus where he waits. And so they travel back to Bethany. 
And the first person Jesus meets is Martha, who I'm, I just assume is the older sister in the family because she's always a bit passive aggressive and always like getting the housework done and sort of slide judging everyone who's not doing the housework. So I just kind of assume Martha's the older sister in the relationship. And he meets Martha and Martha is definitely being passive aggressive to Jesus. And Jesus is like, okay, I'm just going to let that slide. She's grieving. It's fine. And then he meets Mary and he calls for her and Mary comes to him. And this is where our text starts tonight. Because Mary is not passive-aggressive. Mary is known for her deep trust in Jesus and a deep belief in him as the Saviour and Lord. And she's simply grieving and she falls at his feet and she says the word that many people there are thinking that we're all thinking, Lord, if you were here, our brother would not have died. I wonder how that hit Jesus. And Jesus sees her crying and sees her friends and relatives crying and is deeply moved, but he himself does not cry. And he asked where Lazarus is. And Lazarus' friends respond with something that seems really simple. And they say, come and see. And that's when Jesus breaks. That's when we get the shortest, grammatically perfect sentence in the English language, Jesus wept. Why then? Why did Jesus weep in that moment? Like Jesus has already been around the grief of Martha. He's already been around the grief of Mary. He's heard and seen how they're feeling. But that didn't move him. Why did come and see? Here's what I believe. The words come and see are used again and again in the Gospels as an invitation into friendship and relationship with Jesus. Jesus will reach out to somebody who will say, follow me. And they'll be like, what does that mean? Come and see. Come and see what it means. He says that at the beginning of John's Gospel in particular, again and again, John writes it. Jesus reaches out to his disciples and invites them into life with him. So this life, this friendship that Jesus is offering with these words, come and see, has been accidentally inverted by the friends of Lazarus to be words of death. Come and see the dead body. And Jesus breaks down and weeps. And it strikes the people around him who declare, see how he loved him. And we do. It is such a a tangible flesh and blood moment. The God-man made flesh, Jesus is crying. It is so relatable. And if you've ever felt grief, you understand what Jesus feels in that moment. We see the compassionate heart of Jesus. We see a God who loves. We see a God who grieves when we grieve and is with us in the midst of our pain. And for some of you here, you need to hear that. God has not forgotten you. God has not been absent from you in your pain. He's been right there with you. Some of you have suffered things you should not have had to suffer in your life. I need you to know that God has been there with you. We do not serve a God who is unaccustomed to pain, who is unfamiliar with suffering. Jesus knows what it's like, and he grieves with us. And we, as a community, are people who grieve when you grieve and celebrate when you celebrate. We rejoice when you rejoice and we mourn when you mourn. That's what it means to be in this kind of community. But can I tell you what you don't have to have to be in this community? You do not have to have faith in Jesus. You can belong before you believe here. You need to hear that. Because some of you, you've been exploring this community and you're like, I don't know what I feel about Jesus. And you have to know that's okay. Everyone is on a journey with this. You can belong before you put your hand up and respond in any way for Jesus. This can be your home first. So, compassion comes in big time here. The relatable, tangible, mourning Jesus. But as I hope some of you have picked up compassion, relationship, those are not the point of this story. 
We are not here for Jesus' expression of grief. We are here to see the dead get raised. In fact, before he went back to Bethany, the disciples couldn't understand what was going on. So Jesus told them, he said, Lazarus has died. We're going to go back there. I'm going to raise him to life so that you can see the power of God. Like That's some real Babe Ruth calling a shot in the outfield sort of thing. But that's real. I'm about to hit a home run there level of confidence in what God's going to do. And so we go, reading these scriptures, we go prepared for what Jesus is going to do. So when he breaks down and weeps, even though his compassion moves us, that is not the centerpiece of this story. So this is where we get back to signs. Because even though Jesus weeps, and we see that, and some people are moved, there are other people there that ask the valid question, couldn't this man, this man who has made the blind see, couldn't he have kept him from dying? And it's a valid question. It niggles at our mind. This is where the signs come back into it, the eight signs. Because this is where we get back to the impact of death and friendship. Jesus is still deeply moved. He comes to the tomb and he asks for the stone to be rolled away. And Martha tries to challenge him. And Jesus says, you're going to see the glory of God if you believe. And they were moved to the stone and Jesus prays to God, not because he needs that prayer to reinforce him, but because he wants everyone who's hearing him to understand who is doing this miracle. It's not through him. It was through him, but it's the power of God. It is the power of God at work. Jesus wants everyone to know who's in charge here. And they remove the stone and he calls Lazarus out of the grave. Lazarus, come out. And the dead man, the Bible says, shuffles out. He's wrapped in grave clothes. He must have looked terrifying. And Jesus says, unwrap him. Good luck to the people who had that job. And so they went up and unwrapped the grave clothes. And you just imagine Lazarus stretching, breathing in, oxygen, the dead man come to life. It is a miracle, a miracle. You will not see a bigger miracle than that. But the question keeps lingering, keeps niggling at the back of our mind. Why, why, Why didn't Jesus just heal him? Why did he raise him from the dead? Why did he wait for two days before he came back? Why would he do that? I think there are two reasons. The first is that Jesus wants you and I, he wanted his disciples then, he wanted the believers gathered around. He wants people to understand that compassion is necessary, but it is not enough on its own. Compassion is an essential part of the human experience. If you are struggling to be a person who offers compassion, you need to work on that because people around you need compassion. They need it. They need the expression of friendship and love and companionship that compassion brings. It is important. But at some point, compassion is exhausted and we are left with the grief of death and the severing of an important relationship. Compassion is good. Compassion is kindness. But it isn't resurrection. And so that brings me to the second reason. The second is that this, all of this was a sign, a very dramatic sign but a sign nonetheless. See, the thing about a sign is it points to a destination. You don't go to a sign on holidays. You go to the sign to tell you where to go on holidays. The only exception is the Hollywood sign. There, I guess you do go to the sign on holidays to go, look, there's the sign. But generally speaking, that's the exception that proves the rule. Generally speaking, you go to the sign to go, where do I get to for my destination? And so this sign, the miracle of Lazarus, is not intended just to go look at the power of God 
over there in that man is intended to point forward to what's to come. Jesus is saying, this is an appetizer. The main course is still coming. And maybe you're picking up on this already. See, the death of Lazarus, the two days in the grave, the rolling away of the stone, and the most important part, the resurrection. Who's with me? You catching on? Lazarus was the preview. Jesus was the feature. These are all signs for what is going to come. Jesus came to be with Mary and Martha in their grief. That's an act of friendship. Traveling today to be with his friends, that's friendship. But resurrecting a man, that's an act of God. And an act of friendship will get you a long way. It will get you through some troubled times. But at some point, your friend will need to be somewhere else. And God will still be there. The rock on which you build your life. The strength on which you stand. And Jesus is teaching us to believe in a new resurrection. If we're not careful, we read this story and we miss that everything in the Lazarus story points to Jesus. Not just the death and resurrection, but the friendship, the grief, the love. All of those are pointers to Jesus. Signs that point to what Jesus has done and will do. Much like in this story, Jesus saw ahead to his own death. He knew what was coming and he willingly went to the cross. Why? Friendship. Friendship for you and me, people like us who have distanced ourselves from God. Jesus died on the cross so that your sins and mine would be forgiven and so that we would have a relationship with God. We would have a path back to God. You need to know that Jesus has done all the work. He's not waiting for you to get good. He's not waiting for you to start behaving. Right where you are, you can just say yes to Jesus. And he'll meet you right there. So we brought grief to God. We brought the severing of a relationship to him, but Jesus brought new life. And when he rose from the grave, he displayed the power of God. And with it, he showed a sign, a sign of the resurrected life. So church, hear this. Jesus' real act of love for you is not compassion. If you've understood Christianity, church online, if you've understood Christianity as something where bad people come to get good, you've misunderstood Christianity. It's not about moral improvement. It's not about good habits. It is about taking your dead self, your broken self, and letting God resurrect you into new life. It's about saying, on my own, come on, church. It's about saying, on my own, I can't do this. But in Christ, I can. God is taking the broken pieces of your life and mine and resurrecting us. He's creating someone totally new. And you and I don't have to try and get better, dragging the baggage of our past behind us. Jesus says, leave that, turn around, follow me. It's that simple. Come and see what I've got. Come and see what I've got. That's the resurrection life. And that gift means eternal life for you with God in heaven. And it means what Jesus called life in abundance here today, walking with God daily here on earth. And we're so glad you could be here with us today, church. We are a church that values community. We value friendships with people. We value compassion, just to be really clear. We love that we can get to know you on a personal level and, and grieve with you and rejoice with you. If, if you're looking for community, and I know so many people in this time are church online, I know there's people you're looking for community, find it here, plug into a life group. That's the smartest decision you can make to discover community. 
Because when you do that, you'll be bearing each other's burdens. So you'll be cheering each other on. You'll be celebrating and crying with each other. That's real life. That's bearing the resurrection of Jesus Christ to one another. Now, we love all that stuff, but, but what we're really all about is the resurrection life. Right? We, we love being your friend. What we're really about is declaring the resurrection of Jesus over your life. Yeah, yeah. Declaring yeah. new life over you. Yeah. You and I have been through hard times this year, all of us. That's 2020. And compassionate friendships are so helpful. And the average Australian definitely needs more friends, more people that they can bear their soul to. But you need Jesus more than that. You need new life in Jesus. And Jesus is calling everyone in this room home. He's calling your daughter. He's calling your son. He's not asking you to be anyone that you're not. But he's offering an invitation to come closer. And the closer we come to Jesus, the more we fall in love with the truth that we discover, with the beauty and grace of God, and the more we begin to live a resurrected life. Jesus promises something much deeper than friendship. He says this, if we would declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and we would believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the grave, then we would be saved. Saved into a resurrected life. 2020 began with bushfires. What if it ended with resurrection? Right? What if it ended with new life? What year has needed new life more than 2020? Jesus called life out of Lazarus. He's calling life out of you. So here's what you need to hear. The greatest need for the end of 2020 and beyond is people who call life out of other people in the name of Jesus. That whole sentence, write that down if you need to. People who call life out of other people in the name of Jesus. You need the compassion, you need the friendship, but you need the resurrection. You need that. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you were able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We'd love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.